Hey friends, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Let's Talk Menopause. Let's Talk Menopause does not provide medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have. That's the worst part of depression is... Every day it's like a new battle that you have to fight. You lose your sense of purpose. It's isolating. It's really just a lack of feeling. Lack of motivation and lack of optimism. How do you think menopause affects relationships, whether platonic, romantic, and or sexual? Decreased sex between partners? Your area gets kind of dry. And I feel like if it's same sex, they probably have a common understanding. If you're both doing it at the same time, God bless, because I can't even imagine. In hindsight, I could have been a lot more understanding of my wife. I guess it boils down to empathy. Empathy. Empathy and understanding and education for the other one to try to bridge the gap. This is Hello Menopause, a podcast where you'll hear real menopause stories from real people. Whispering behind closed doors? Not here. And we promise it is not just in your head. And you are not alone. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your other host, Robin Gelfenbein. Let's talk menopause. At the top, you heard our menopause on the street segment. Now, if you don't know, this is a segment where I go out on the streets of New York City and ask complete strangers about, you guessed it, menopause. Oh my goodness, Robin. Mm-hmm. Every time I listen to one of your montages, it usually brings a smile to my face. This one is so good that it squeezes my heart. Mm-hmm. I felt people were so honest with you. I have that effect on people, Christine. <laughs> what was it like on the street? The, the thing that really stood out to me with this particular montage was the guy who said, in hindsight, I could have been a lot more understanding of my wife. When I approached him, he was sitting by himself with his dog, and I sat down, and I think I said something like, can I ask you a few questions about women's health? He had no idea where this was going to (laughs) go. He said to me, as we talked about so many of these topics, he said, did somebody send you down here to talk to me? Because there have been so many issues within his marriage, and they were actually getting divorced. Wow. Oh, my gosh. There was emotion from start to finish. Every single person speaking on these subjects was filled with emotion. So I had a really strange reaction while listening to this Hmm. is, bear with me as I try to articulate this. So I heard a lot of words for like loss and lack. And even I think I heard in there a lack of optimism, a lack of motivation. And it felt to me that you could almost universally say that depression is a a massive depletion mm-hmm. of so many things. And oddly enough, into my head popped the image. I don't know how many people have read Harry Potter, but there's the character that appears called the Dementor. And the Dementors are the scariest characters in the book. And even as an adult reading it, they freaked me out because they would come and give what was called a Dementor's kiss. And when they would kiss you, they would just suck out all your joy, all your memories, all your happiness. And it literally felt, it was a cold experience, this chilling experience of having the Dementor's kiss. It was the most dreaded thing. And I know that J.K. Rowling has said, 
openly that she created the Dementors to talk about her own experience with depression. Mm, wow. So when I heard this lack of feeling, lack of motivation, lack of optimism, that every day, that guy who said, I'm getting teary, the guy who said every day is a challenge, it's a whole new challenge, I thought, what an unbelievably beautiful job she did personifying depression by the, a Dementors kiss. Yeah. I know I went a little I went a little wide here. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. I mean, people were really eager to talk about it. So I think that's why you heard so much about it. And I and I loved the piece about empathy too. I thought that was everything. Well, I mean, it's clear that we all need to have it. I mean, just for any number of reasons, things that are happening in the news, certainly experiencing the pandemic, and just obviously with menopause, it, you need to have so much empathy, not just for the women who are experiencing it, but also for yourself. And I think that's probably the hardest part of it. Right. Yeah. I think like to kind of wrap it up, it's like what seems to work from what we're hearing from the public and what we are trying to do in our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is empathy, understanding, and education. Okay, so without much further ado, because I'm really eager to talk to this guest, let's get into the conversation. In today's episode, we are thrilled, quite honestly, I'm a little fangirling, to speak with writer, illustrator, and speaker, Emily McDowell. After a career in advertising, Emily launched Emily McDowell Studio, now known as MN Friends, creating greeting cards and gifts for the relationships that we really have. The brand is best known for its empathy cards designed to help people connect more authentically and honestly with loved ones experiencing major illness, loss, and yes, even menopause. Please join us as we speak with the compassionate and uber creative Emily McDowell. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are absolutely thrilled to have you here. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Yeah, so hi, I'm so thrilled to be here. My name is Emily McDowell. I am a writer and illustrator, and I founded a brand called Em and Friends about 10 years ago that makes greeting cards for the relationships we really have and not the ones that we wished we had. Um, <laughs> I am about seven years into perimenopause. I'm 46. Um, so it started a little bit early on the earlier side for me. And my company was recently acquired by Barnes & Noble. I'm doing uh, part-time consulting right now. And our team stayed in place, but um, they are kind of continuing on without me. And I am looking towards the next phase of my career, whatever that is. Your guess is as good as mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're excited to see what you do next. And we are going to chat with you about some of your huge accomplishments. Um, but wanted to start with what did you know about perimenopause before yours actually began? Basically nothing. You know, <laughs> like all of us, right? Like I had Kathy comics from the 80s and 90s of like, you know, ack and like running around <laughs> like a like an angry woman running around, you know, like it was like really all I knew about menopause and perimenopause was I knew the word perimenopause, which I know that a lot of people don't even know. Yeah, that puts you ahead of the curve. Right. So I'm ahead of the game there. I knew that it was a thing. And I knew about like hot flashes and I knew about 
anger and I knew <laughs> about like literally my context was just mostly like unfunny male comedians making jokes about their wives. So yeah, I mean, I really didn't have much context beyond that. So you began experiencing your symptoms at 38, which is a bit early. Mm -hmm. And what changes did you first notice? The first symptoms for me were changes to my period. Mm. So really heavy. Um, I'd always had pretty light periods and, and pretty regular periods. And I found that suddenly they were really, really heavy and really intense and lasting a lot longer than they ever had. Mm-hmm. And that I also didn't know. You know, I had to look that up because I had believed that when you start perimenopause, your periods get lighter. They're on their way out. Like, sure, that's going to happen. And I had never heard that actually for most people, they go through a period of getting heavier and and more difficult. Right. Um, so that was my introduction to that. Okay. So... I don't know if you know this about me, Emily, but I think we have something in common in a, in a little bit of a way is that I went into menopause at 30, I was 34, 35, 34 mm. turning 35. And what I was diagnosed with was premature ovarian failure, which is now called premature ovarian insufficiency. And it only happens to 1% of women. So it's it's unusual. But I think I've heard you say that you think your early entrance into menopause may be a result of medical treatments. And I would love for you to talk about that because I want to tell our audience a little bit about what that means, medical menopause. Well, it's really unclear. So I had Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 24 and 25. And I had chemo and radiation for that. And at the time, they said, you know, this might affect your fertility. It might affect sort of reproduction stuff for you. And it might mean that you end up entering menopause a little bit earlier than you normally would but we don't really know. And it doesn't happen to everyone. And, you know, basically good luck and God bless. Wow. At the time they said, you have a higher risk of breast cancer because I had I had a mediastinal tumor, which is that space between your heart and your lungs. And so my breasts were in the radiation field. And so that elevated my breast cancer risk. And so right now I get an MRI and a mammogram every six months. And I've had this protocol following me for 15 years. So I was under the impression, because what I was told by the doctors at that time was you should never take hormones. Because you have this elevated breast cancer risk, it's Mm -hmm. not safe for you to take hormones and you should never do it. And that was what I thought actually up until about six months ago when I started working with Heather Hirsch, who is a menopause care specialist um, at Harvard. And she gave me an updated and comprehensive education in hormone therapy that led me to draw the conclusion for myself that actually I think that that I wanted to try estrogen and progesterone. Right. Well, it's such an important thing to do to like consult with a doctor about the risk-benefit ratio. I mean, mm-hmm. these are, you know, breast cancer is something to be mindful of and to address. So I'm really glad to hear that you met with someone who talked you through that. So just for our listeners, I just I, I think that medical menopause gets even less time than premature ovarian failure. I don't mm-hmm. think people hear about it often. So I just want to say that Basically, it's when you reach menopause through some medical treatment or certain medication. So, for instance, if you've gone through chemotherapy, radiation, and even ovarian suppression therapy, and because it happens so fast, medical menopause is often the most difficult menopause. You have a holy host of symptoms, and it it doesn't come gradually over time. It kind of comes very quickly. So I'm actually glad to hear that your doctors talked to you about it before you reached it. Yeah, and that I wasn't in treatment in the middle of it, you know, that right. my treatment was was 20 years ago. And so 
I had recovered and it was more just a side effect. Did anyone suggest that the chemotherapy you had years ago might cause you to go into menopause early? Yes. So that was what the doctors, the reason that I started to suspect perimenopause when I was in my late thirties, I normally, I don't think I would have. Mm -hmm. I think that I would have thought, oh, this is too early. Menopause is for older women. I think that I really, right. But doctors had said to me back in my twenties, like this might happen to you a little early. Okay. And so watch for that. And that was really the thing that kind of gave me a clue as to what was happening. If I if I had not had that, I think that in my late 30s, I would have tried every supplement under the sun or, you know, gone to every doctor without suspecting even that it could have been perimenopause. So you mentioned that you experienced like really heavy bleeding and irregular periods. And obviously what the doctor shared with you like tipped you off to that. But I also read that you at some point had come across like 37 symptoms online and you were like, I have 34 of these. (laughs) Uh, So two questions. One, which ones didn't you have? (laughs) And then which ones did you have? So I was, in 2018, I was experiencing everything from joint pain, brain fog, headaches, awful migraines. I was exhausted all the time. I was irritable. There was like one day a month where I couldn't go to work because I felt too nuts. Like I just felt like I couldn't have conversations with people because I was like too much of a loose cannon and I couldn't control it. And I felt like my brain had been hijacked. I was having really terrible night sweats, you know, like sweating through three t-shirts, like awake in the middle of the night, looking up like active wear sheets, you know, like, oh my God. <laughs> This led me all down this rabbit hole of perimenopause where I was like, all of these symptoms are on this list. And what can I do? And at the time, I really, I thought that for myself, um, hormone therapy was off the table. Mm -hmm. And so I made some really drastic lifestyle changes to my diet, trying to do stress reduction, mindfulness, movement, just basically all of the stuff that I scrubbed the internet for like what to do. Um, And I stopped eating sugar. I stopped drinking alcohol. I was already mostly gluten-free, but I completely stopped eating gluten, which for me, I am really gluten sensitive. And so I am very happy to report that about a month into making those dietary shifts, my symptoms were really lessening in terms of everything from mood stuff to hot flashes to night sweats to everything. Sugar, I think, is really the, for me, my body does not want to metabolize it. And I wasn't a big drinker to begin with, and I had already kind of reached the point of middle age where I would get halfway through a glass of wine and start feeling hungover. It would really mess with my sleep. Really bad insomnia was another thing for me. I made a lot of lifestyle changes. It was sort of the beginning of my series of decisions that ultimately resulted in selling the company. So it was the beginning of about a five-year period of really looking at the role of work in my life and how much I work and my stress levels Mm -hmm. and really trying to reduce stress. Right. I know this is a personal question, and the only reason I'm asking it is because you said that you had so many of the symptoms. And I think people don't connect this symptom is recurring urinary tract infections. Mm, I didn't have UTIs. I didn't have like, like some people get vertigo. I didn't have vertigo. I didn't at the time have anxiety. And just in the last year, I started experiencing some really wacky anxiety, like um, being anxious as a passenger in a car 
or like driving over a bridge or stuff like that, that I'm like, why, what is this? Like not just sort of existential anxiety, but like really specific kind of situational anxiety. And I, back in 2018, I wasn't experiencing that. And then um, by the time this happened to me this last year, I knew enough about perimenopause that I was like, oh, this is a menopause thing. Yeah. It's interesting that you, the depression, but not anxiety until much later. And for me personally, I think the mood changes were the hardest for me. I Mm -hmm. I mean, I can relate to what you said about feeling that you can't trust yourself around other people. I think they're the scariest symptom of all. Did you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. The mood swings really freaked me out because I felt out of control of my agency. You know, I was like, what, who is this person who is in my head? Like, this isn't me, you know, and I didn't trust myself to like go to meetings and be normal. Like it was so challenging and so confusing. And there's this sense of what happened to me? Where's the old me? And is she coming back anytime soon? Like Mm -hmm. this sense of this is not me. What's happening? So you did something that a lot of people would consider like incredibly ballsy, (laughs) which was you shared your perimenopause story on Instagram. Mm. Now, I know you are like so big on making people feel less alone, like vulnerability is your superpower. It's like, (laughs) no surprise, you're friends with Brene Brown. And I'm just wondering, like, how did you get the courage to actually do that? And what pushed you to share that story? Well, it's interesting. A friend of mine, she had had a surgery and was put into medical menopause. And she posted something about it. And reading all of the responses, there was something in my brain that kind of kicked on and was like, wait a minute, why am I not talking about this? This is something that I absolutely should be talking about that like isn't being talked about and that most of us don't know what we don't know. (laughs) And there are so many women who are thinking that they're going insane or that something is wrong with them or don't have any idea where these symptoms are coming from and like don't even know the word perimenopause. And I didn't quite realize how in the dark most women are about this until I started looking into it and was like, oh, one in five OBGYNs get training in menopause care and most doctors don't know what to do. And we have all this cultural silence around it. And this is such a big deal. And so, you know, I made a post about it. And then the response to that post was so many people, so many more than I thought, you know, coming forward and saying, oh my gosh, me too, me too, me too. And then it was like, oh, yeah, clearly we need to be talking about this. And one of the things that I really hope and I see happening around me is that as we, as this generation, Gen X, reaches menopause, we normalize it. And that's what you guys are doing. That's what I feel committed to doing. I'm seeing more and more of it. It's really exciting. It's also like, I have really mixed feelings about companies popping up to sell products to women in perimenopause and menopause that are just like, you know, repackaged vitamins that say now for menopause that are like $30 instead of six. And at the same time, like there's a part of me that's like, well, there's awareness, you know, like where do you draw the line between normalizing and representation and awareness and like seeing the word menopause out in the world? And that's cool. But then also like preying on women who are like, I need a solution to this. And I have some sort of complicated feelings about that. Yeah, I think you're not alone. It's uh, a bit of a dilemma, a moral dilemma. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just switch the conversation up a little bit and talk about your cards, your greeting cards. So you've described your empathy cards as whiskey for the wounded. And I think that's why you're a writer, because that's so brilliant. Can you just kind of tell our listeners, what what is an empathy card? Like, what does that mean? An empathy card was our answer to this traditional get well card. Mm-hmm. So a get well soon, a card that says get well soon, is kind of weird if you might not. You know, like if you have cancer <laughs> or, you know, you're kind of like, cool, thanks, I'll try. Or a, a card that says with sympathy that has a picture of a flower on it. It's nice and it's an, and it's a nice gesture, but it's more about social convention than it is about actual connection. And one of the things that I learned from having cancer is that we as a culture generally don't know what to say when people we love are going through something hard. And so with empathy cards, I really wanted to create a tool that would help people who were going through the hard thing feel seen and heard and understood, and that also would help the friends and family with being able to say something that felt like them and that felt supportive. You know, so many of the things that we sort of are taught to say in these times are like platitudes and like everything happens for a reason or like God's plan or whatever. And those things ultimately almost all the time end up making the person on the receiving end feel more alienated Mm -hmm. and more alone. Like Mm -hmm. you don't get it, you know, because if you got it, you would never say that. Those things are not comforting. And so we really wanted to create cards that felt supportive and that were the antidote to the sort of traditional unhelpful messages. They're so innovative, though. You did something so out of the greeting card industry standard. It was so refreshing to see it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the industry has changed so much in the last decade, and I really like to believe that we were a part of that. And the reason I started Em and Friends in general was because cards were aspirational, and they felt like I always felt like I struggled to find cards that reflected my real relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a complicated relationship with my mom. And so Mother's Day was none of the cards ever applied, you know, or like, what do you get someone for Valentine's Day when you're like kind of dating, but not really? Like, how do you address that? Like that awkwardness, you know, and and all of the options were like gushing poems and that just never felt like it applied. And so for me, I was creating something that I needed and the industry, I'm happy to say, has changed so much. It's so much more inclusive in terms of, you know, allowing for only one version of something. And now you can find all kinds of cards for all different kinds of families and coming out cards and LGBTQ cards. It's much more inclusive in all ways than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons we really sparked to all the cards that you made were because they are so real. And I think that's why it exploded. Like you did so mm-hmm. well because people are like, oh, finally somebody's actually speaking from a realistic experience. Like, like you were saying, I feel seen, I feel heard. And I mean, you even created menopause cards, which is brilliant. So I was wondering if you could read one of those for us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's see, I have one right here. And it says, welcome to menopause. On one hand, there's brain fog, headaches, insomnia, mood swings, and whatever the hell is happening to my knees. On the other hand, there is the breathtaking power of truly not giving a shit what anyone thinks anymore. 
All of that is so true, especially the last part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just captures just the essence of it, I feel like, yeah. so perfectly. Yeah. Uh, when you were first working on these, was it your own perimenopause experience that Absolutely. inspired them? Okay. It was really my own experience. You know, I have been, for the last few years, I haven't been doing the writing or illustration for the brand. I have a team that I've been creative directing, and they do most of the work at this point, and I creative direct it. But these, I stepped in and, and wrote them because I really wanted Move over, to. I got this. You know, yeah. And, um, and they had great input and insight and, you know, and we talked about them and, and they chose, I wrote a bunch of them and, and everybody had opinions about which ones we should yeah. do. And, but yeah, this was all <laughs> very autobiographical, this, this particular project. And it was fun for me to do it. Okay. So you said that you consider yourself a feelings translator, that you, that you have this gift for finding words for truths. And a lot of times truths about things the rest of us tend to avoid talking about. doesn't mean we're not feeling them. We just aren't as gifted at finding the right words for them. So you have a new podcast called Quitted. Can you tell us what made you launch this podcast? What's the origin story? Yeah, so I have a podcast called Quitted. And it's co-hosted with my friend Holly Whitaker, and it is, as the name suggests, about quitting. And (laughs) we have infinite resources in our culture for building and growing and persevering and sticking it out. And we have very few around walking away from the things that are not serving us. And... There is this cultural narrative around quitting that it's like giving up. You know, like we are a culture that's really obsessed with grit and perseverance. Yeah. And often to our own detriment. I mean, there are, of course, places where grit and perseverance make absolute sense. But then so much of what we do and so much of what we end up doing is a result of cultural conditioning, is a result of things that we believed, particularly when we were younger, like this is what I'm supposed to do or this Mm -hmm. is what... And so... What I have found and what I know so many folks have found is you get to midlife, and this, of course, can happen any time in life, but in midlife in particular, there is a point at which I think people begin to reevaluate and say, wait, does this life even fit me? You know, this choice that I made when I was 25 or 30 or 38 or whenever, is this actually how I want to be spending my life? And does this make sense? Mm-hmm. And You know, we also live in a culture that really doesn't want us to change. There are big social and emotional costs to changing. You'll lose a community, you lose friends, you lose security, you lose identity. And so Quitted, the podcast, is really about not just quitting jobs, but quitting all of the things, major things that make up an identity. What it's like to do that what it's like to make that decision, what it's like in the liminal space that follows after where you don't know who you are anymore. And then how do you move forward once you've made a change? You know, so much of quitting is synonymous with failure. And I feel though, like over the last few years, like something has shifted in our society because so many people are embracing the great resignation. So why do you think people are now more willing to jump ship? Things have been really broken for a long time or just not working, right? And So broken. So broken. And I think that there was something about the disruption of the pandemic, the disruption of, you know, the sort of forced perspective 
that it, it made us look at our lives in a, in a different way and sort of stop and step outside of our lives and have a certain kind of awareness about what our normal patterns are and all of that, that really affected so many people in terms of being able to ask themselves the question of, is this what I want? Is this the life that I want to live? It sh- just shook a lot of people out of autopilot and into an awareness of like what's happening. So I want to briefly talk about you sort of had this moment of being a media darling. You were everywhere. Your work was everywhere. And the company had massive growth. And at the same time, you you were struggling with it. So can you say that better than I just did? <laughs> you said it pretty well. I mean, honestly, the height of when I was, the company was exploding. I had just published a book. I was so busy and I was so stressed out and I was under so much pressure. And I had people on Instagram saying, I want your life. And me saying like, no, you don't, you know, and it was the time when like I had all of these outer markings of quote unquote success. And yet I was really miserable right. and I didn't enjoy running a company and I was good at it. And so it took me a while to really understand that I didn't actually enjoy it because I was good at it and because people kept telling me that I was good at it and because we were doing well according to all of the economic and cultural markers of when a company is successful. And I really was attached to this idea of myself as somebody who was going to be like really into running a company. And so it took me several years to really understand that actually I don't love this. You know, that I don't love managing large groups of people. You know, there's certain aspects of being a CEO that were really interesting to me and that I liked. But for the most part, it was really difficult. And I was also doing like seven people's jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing all of the writing and illustration for the brand and all of our marketing and all of our social media. And I was also, it was just too much. You know, it was, it would have been too much for anyone. Yeah. And my thoughts about success and what success is and, and what it means, you know, have shifted a lot as I've gotten older over the last decade. And I, and I think part of it is sort of a natural thing that happens as we age. And part of it is as a result of my own experiences. Mm -hmm. I really had a a very unhealthy relationship to work that I have spent the last five years untangling, you know, working on untangling. Right. I find that very inspiring. It speaks to you. Christine and I were talking about this idea of like, I really thrive on like achieving and being productive. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because according to Christine's theory, I'm the firstborn. And my friend of mine once said to me, Robin, you're a human being, not a human doing. And I was like, <gasps> oh my God, truth. And it really stuck with me. And it makes me think about your whole perspective on like letting go and like nurturing quiet time and how incredibly valuable that is. And so I was wondering, like, when you were first learning to be still, was that challenging? And are you able to be still like with a lot more comfort and and confidence and really just like truly being present at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing process, right? I'm a work in progress, but it is infinitely easier now. When I first started, like my nervous system was so dysregulated in that I was, I only knew how to function in chaos. I only knew how to function in stress. So chaos and stress felt normal to me. And so if I wasn't in chaos and stress, my nervous system would go, (gasps) like, what's wrong? Even though I recognized that it was, that I didn't like it, it was familiar. 
And like our brains really want familiar, like we are mm-hmm. hardwired to mm. seek out familiar. Yeah. Even when it makes you miserable. I had been like a 20 year plus veteran of talk therapy, which I think is really wonderful and useful and super important, especially if you haven't like taken a look under the hood and like seen what's in there. Right. But I think that for me, especially because I was, I spent most of my life feeling like a floating head on a stick. Like I was very sort of intellectualized and not in my body that when I started five years ago or so doing more like somatic therapy, which is about being present in the body and meditation and breath work and all of these things, practices that were designed to get me out of my head and into my body and working with my nervous system, that was what allowed me to start being more comfortable in stillness and being more willing to sit with the discomfort in making some of the changes. So something that you said on the podcast, when I heard you say it, I literally said out loud in a room with no one in it, I said, yes. And I went, (laughs) I hit rewind and I played it again. And again, I'll paraphrase. You said of all the major life changes in your life, the most positive have not been from the things you started but have been from the things you stopped doing. Literally, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's Mm. so, so true. Now, after everything you've been through, you've built things, unbuilt them, rebuilt them with your company. So now after all the lessons, all the things you've learned, if someone asked you to define success, what would be your answer? Oh, it's such such a good question. I, I think about this all the time. I actually have a running list of definitions of success. There is this one Maya Angelou definition of success that I love that is success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. And I think she really nails it with that one. And what I can say is that personal contentment has not come from achievement. Like I spent 40 years trying to achieve my way into happiness. And Mm. I can say with certainty that for myself that I ultimately stopped knocking on that door. You know, Martha Beck said something on our podcast and she says it in the way of integrity, her most recent book about how Americans are sort of uniquely, like when something doesn't work, we do it harder. (laughs) (laughs) If I do it enough, you know, then it's going to work. Really what it is, is backing up and saying, wait a minute, is it possible that happiness is actually unrelated to this completely? And like, I'm approaching this problem from like the wrong direction. You know, we don't do that. And and I didn't do it until I was about 40. But I think in the same way people had not been talking about menopause for so many years, I love that you're now talking about this issue. And I agree with Robin that it is somehow linked to the great resignation. Mm -hmm. This is something we should talk about. Yeah, I think that this next phase of my work, again, no idea what form it's going to take or what it's going to be. But I'm really interested in transition as a subject and in why we don't change and how we can change and how we can feel safe to change when we are afraid of security and when we have like very practical considerations Mm -hmm. like caregiving responsibilities or mortgage or, you know, like how do you make changes in your life to be more in alignment with who you really are Mm -hmm. when you are also balancing, you know, all of the requirements of being a person in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. As a fellow New Englander who was raised to not talk about 
anything, I appreciate the fact that you are so open to being vulnerable and helping people feel less alone. So first of all, I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. Also wanted to ask uh, where our listeners can follow you and find what you're going to be doing next. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Quitted that you can find on all major podcast platforms. And um, we are a listener-supported podcast. We don't have a sponsor. We don't do ads. And so you can also, if you like the podcast, you can join our Patreon community at patreon.com forward slash quitted. You can also find me on Instagram at Emily on Life. I am sort of sporadically there at the moment. And where you can really find me is if you go to emilyonlife.com, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is really the first place that I'm going to be sharing what is next for me when I figure that out. And I write right now it's about monthly, although I think that I will be increasing the frequency of newsletters. And I'm just writing about kind of whatever. So you can get on that mailing list and that would be lovely. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom, all of your great stories. We loved having you today. It's a really fun chat. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for bringing us the joy that your cards brought us. Oh, thank you. I super appreciate that. Okay, so I knew I'd like Emily... You know, I already love what she's doing. I think her empathy cards speak to so many people. And just talking to her, she is like how she writes. Like she's just very real, very down to earth and very, very relatable. And I I thought it was great. I thought it was really fun. When people go through such challenging times, such as a major illness and grief and loss, Mm -hmm. I think we can all relate to that feeling of, I'm not sure what to say and how, how can I help? And when I read her cards, I think, what an amazing talent to put it into a way that feels human and real and not overly saccharine and not filled with platitudes. And maybe not for the grief cards, but when I read her cards, I, it makes me sort of smile and feel the joy in being human. I know that sounds over the top, but she's got such a gift. Well, it just makes things like less awkward, you know? But she created with empathy cards was just like a nice bridge to getting in touch with somebody without any pressure. And then with just like a real human approach to it, which clearly was very needed in the industry. And honestly, how cool is it that she writes cards about menopause? And they're funny. And Mm -hmm. they also make you feel not like you're going crazy that other people are having these same strange feelings. Like they, again, they made me smile and made me feel part of a community. Oh, for sure. And then also just when she was talking about her own menopause experience on the days when she's like, I'm not going into work. Like, I don't know what's going on inside my head. I don't really want to like lash out at people. She said, I don't trust myself. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is super scary. But also like, you know, like I said, she's very relatable. And I think that will clearly serve her in whatever she does next because she just has a really interesting pulse on people. Yeah, she does. And I wish her so much success with her podcast. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it, we'd love it if you could help us out. All you have to do is rate and review the show and it will help us reach more listeners. It only takes a minute and it makes a huge difference. It really does. And if you want to follow the show while you're at it, we won't mind. (laughs) No, we won't. And don't forget to tell your friends to check it out too. Our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is to give people the information they need so they can get the health care they deserve. Please visit our website at letstalkmenopause.org for a wealth of menopause information. 
including a symptoms checklist, information about long-term health risks, how to navigate menopause at work, interviews with health experts, and so much more. A big thank you to Always Discreet for sponsoring this episode of Hello Menopause. Always Discreet, because we deserve better. And by the support of Estellas on the forefront of healthcare change. Hello Menopause is a production from Let's Talk Menopause made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your host, Robin Gelfenbein. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer and Alana Herlins is our producer. Laura Boyman and Catherine Devine are our associate producers. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and Claire Bidigari-Curtis is our sound designer. Hello Menopause was concepted by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Becca Godwin. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. So check it out. <laughs>